spend my dollar. It's not about what you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a preseason offense edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Can you believe it? Another offseason has passed and kickoff is just around the corner. I can think of no better way to cement our readiness than to review the roster and project the two deep. You know, just like Saban would want us to do, right? So let's jump in. I've got my emotional support bourbon. I've got a glass of water. I've got 13 pages of notes. And uh, let's just jump in and see where the conversation takes us. You know, we normally start with quarterback, and we're going to today. I guess normally I'm excited about starting with quarterback. And uh, frankly, I kind of dread starting with quarterback today. Uh, The quarterback position may be, at least in part, the reason that I've been so slow in putting this out. Uh, I should disclaim I'm recording this on Sunday evening. Uh, I did see reports from the first scrimmage, but anything that's come out, you know, after probably noon on Sunday, and then certainly by the time you record this, uh, there's an opportunity for some of the content to age. Uh, we're not rooting for injury. We never do. But as an example, um, you know, a player that uh, that we speak to, you know, may not be available. And so that's that's uh, how that happens. That's how that works. Uh, but uh, we're not going to root for that, not hoping for that. But I did want to to put that there. Uh, certainly that there's a sort of this is recorded at a point in time and um, spring practice or fall practice certainly is an ongoing uh, moving target. So anyways, as we go now, we talked about the the quarterback position. Oh, man, what do we do with this quarterback uh, position? There's three competitors uh, really fighting for the position. In the spring, I was super bullish on uh, Ty Simpson winning the job. I still think uh, there's probably a better than average chance that he does win the job, but there's a whole new competitor at the position, and uh, I think the competitive dynamic uh, has clearly changed. So what I want to do, in and, and, and I do this for myself, really thinking through uh, almost our pro and con list, if you will, I want to break it down. What do we know? And then from that, what can we divine from that? Uh, I had a, a discussion uh, with a friend not long ago, and I was adamant, in my opinion, uh, on the on the position. And uh, I, I I think maybe I've even changed my position some from there. So if you were to have if we were to have a, this conversation a week from now with new information, it could change, and certainly it has. Um, I believe at least in some degree uh, from the spring. So let's step through. Uh, sort of tiptoeing into the topic, let's step through what we know. We know that Jalen Milrow is the most athletic and most intriguing quarterback of the bunch. I don't think that's in question. Ty Simpson, I think we know that he throws the best ball. He appears to have the best command of the ball, uh, at least just in drills where he's throwing the ball. Uh, Tyler Buckner has the most X factor about him. He's won a quarterback competition before at the collegiate level. He's battled against adversity, coming back uh, from injury to lead his uh, to play and then lead his team uh, to victory in a bowl game. And he's played for uh, Tommy Reese before, and that's not nothing. Uh, although that's not a standalone decision maker. 
Uh, Dylan Lonergan, I thought, had the best spring uh, A-Day of any of the quarterbacks. And if we had six more weeks to settle the competition, well, you know, Dylan Lonergan may actually, uh, in that scenario, have uh, a legitimate chance. We're closer to two and a half to three weeks, so uh, I don't think that probably uh, materializes. I believe that the coaches wanted Ty Simpson to take control of the job in the spring and sort of have this as a de facto settled matter. Uh, I do think that the play style uh, has a lot to do with it. Coach Saban and the rest of the coaching staff have recruited to that play style. I would cite Dylan. I would cite Eli Holstein. I would cite Julius Sain. And I would cite Buckner is that. There's a play style that the offense wants to run, that the coaching staff wants to run. And I think that lends itself to the, more favorably uh, to Ty Simpson. However, and at the same time, Tennessee 2A ball, high school 2A ball to the SEC is a big step. And it's a step that Ty Simpson is making just much more slowly than maybe was expected. Certainly much more slowly, I think, than the coaching staff wanted. Uh, Tyler Buckner, I hinted at this, Tyler Buckner uh, bringing him in after spring is more of a direct competition for Ty Simpson than it is, than it is uh, for Milrow. It's a competition for everyone, but again, it's play style. We didn't go recruit just anybody to come in. We recruited someone with a specific play style, style and certainly with a, a connection to the coach, uh, the new offensive coordinator helped. Competition, this is another thing that we know or that we can certainly with a degree of certainty forecast, the competition will carry into the season. The first snap against MTSU will technically be the starter for the season. Other than that, it doesn't mean anything. The competition will carry into the season. It'll be an unsettled uh, decision. Now, my guess is Milrow will get that snap, and that's okay. He can still win the job and, and will have an opportunity to, to come out of the gates against MTSU and prove that he can move the ball and score the offense. But the starter of the MTSU game is not the default starter for the season. And I use the analogy of let's look back at the end of the season and say who was the starter for that season. Let's go back to, what is it, 2014, uh, Jake Coker, uh, won the starting job, but he didn't win it week one. He won it late in the game against Ole Miss. And so when we project back on that season, we say Coker was the starter. At the beginning of the season, he certainly was not. We could say the same about Jalen Hurts. He was not the quarter, first quarterback off the bench to start that game. So the competition will go into the season. Uh, the winner, and you know we allude to it, the winner may be whoever can pull the game out against Texas uh, if Alabama's behind in the second half. Whoever can have a Jake Coker versus Ole Miss-like moment that puts the team on their back, uh, shoulders the load, pulls out a victory, uh, would be the preferred option, but demonstrates a capability to do that, a certain leadership, a certain moxie. Uh, we may not know until then who truly the quarterback is. All three quarterbacks have a shot at it. I today wouldn't categorically rule anyone out. Uh, Milrow can have a brilliant run at any time, like he did against Arkansas, especially 
when it seemed that it was pretty obvious that that was a running situation. Uh, Milrow could have a brilliant run at any time to pull any game uh, out of a hat, and that's certainly something that he brings to the table with his athleticism. Uh, Buckner, again, it's just X factor to the win uh, for the win. There's an opportunity that that he could step up, uh, and in Simpson, maybe it just all clicks. I do think that you know the son of a coach, he's textbook looking, you know, central casting looking uh, quarterback, and uh, he's got as much zip on the ball uh, and arm talent it, as it appears anyone's does, and he can run to the ball. He demonstrated that as well. But the impression I get, and I don't see this or read this or hear this, and I'm not in practices, but the impression I get is that the game speed, when it all comes together, when it's 11 on 11, not 7 on 7, um, that maybe it just doesn't all click and fire and the synapses are just slow, uh, that that's what's holding Simpson back. That's the impression I get. If he gets hit in a game and then it just starts to click, um, not that it requires him getting hit, but just a, like a wake-up call in a game, and it just starts clicking for him, and the game slows down, uh, then he may have the most upside uh, of absolutely any of them. And that can happen uh, in the second half of a Texas game, sort of the scenario that we're talking about. So it, it legitimately can happen for any of the three. If you're going to twist my arm right now today, uh, and I'm recording a podcast, so I'm going to make a prediction. Making a prediction right now, I'm going to say Tyler Buckner. Now, the second scrimmage is going to be material in the development and, and progress of the quarterbacks. Uh, we always hear sort of the coaching uh, terminology that you you're, you're, you know, but you can grow a lot between your sophomore and junior season, or that it, you the team can progress more between their first game and their second game than they will at any other time of the season. Well, fall camp is a little bit like that. These players can progress more between the first scrimmage and the second scrimmage than they might the whole rest of camp. And so we might be listening to this Wednesday or Thursday in the week, and it become more a fait accompli than it is as we're recording this on Sunday. Any of the three can win it. Uh, based on what we know right now, uh, I'm forecasting Tyler Buckner to win the job. Uh, though it's going to be close, and it's going to be interesting to see truly, truly how it plays out. Now, we're going to run through every position group, and then I've got sort of a question or a prediction, and sometimes it's multiple questions and multiple predictions. But we're going to do a question sort of prediction segment at the each of at the end of each position group. And so let's do a question for quarterback. Uh, again, these are sort of open ended. I'm probably not going to answer very many of these, uh, but just open ended. Here's the question that I think that we carry into the remaining fall practice and maybe even into the season relative to each of these individual positions. Does Ty, Ty Simpson, does Ty have it within him to rebuff a direct shot across his bow? I think Buckner was brought in less to compete head-to-head against Milrow, although it's a three-man competition. But again, play style, I think Buckner was brought in to be more of a head-to-head competition with Ty. And so as Ty Simpson that's a slap in his face. It could be interpreted. And some folks are going to go into their shell and not have the competitive spirit. And some guys, that's going to be um, a motivational slap in the ass uh, to, to get them uh, moving forward. And so that's that's really the question. How does Ty play with that now that he knows it? And how does he carry that into the remainder uh, of camp? Will 
Uh, this assumes Milrow doesn't win the position, and we've disclaimed that. But if Milrow doesn't win the position, would he consider a position change? And can Tyler Buckner stay healthy? Uh, he has had some health issues dating back to high school, and I don't know that he's played a full end-to-end uh, -end season uh, since maybe his junior year in, in, uh, in high school. Maybe it's even his sophomore year in high school. So he had the COVID year in high school that sort of threw off his schedule. And then he's had injure, uh, injury uh, the year that he won the starting job at Notre Dame. So the point remains there. Even if he were to win the starting job literally today, uh, could he maintain health throughout the season is a legitimate, legitimate question. And that's where Saban, it's one of the reasons Saban specifically says fall camp is not the beginning of the end. It may be the beginning of the beginning, and even going into the season, it may yet still be the beginning of the beginning. So I think we're going to hear uh, some of that competition uh, or some of that dialogue. All right, let's continue and um, move forward to the running back position. You know, for my money, the running back position presents as, is, as a deep and talented position, uh, and it's one that I find that's hard to handicap. It's easy to, to pick a couple of names uh, and, and sort of forecast from there. And, uh, you know, but it's hard to, to really sort of break down all five uh, of the characters. And that's where I think um, you have to look for, look to the history, you know, for a little bit of guidance. And I did go back and look at some, some running back classes uh, or running back tandems uh, for the last couple of years. And I go back to 2018 where I've, I feel like it's a group that uh, characterizes itself most similarly to uh, what Alabama has here in 2023. And so here's the, here's the comparison. In 2018, Damian Harris uh, was a senior. Josh Jacobs was a junior. Najee Harris was a sophomore. Brian Robinson was a sophomore. And Jerome Ford was a true freshman. And so just so you had a senior, a clear senior leader at the top, and then you had a couple talented folks. Uh, Josh was a, a junior and Najee, uh, is the one that everyone sort of was was looking for. Uh, he was a sophomore, and then there was a lot of high hopes uh, for Brian Robinson. And Jerome Ford, you know, just maybe got lost in the wash. He ended up transferring, had a lot of success at Cincinnati, and all five uh, have made it to the NFL. So good on them. And so if this class is as good as that group, then good on Alabama. But you have a similar, not exactly, but you have a similar sort of makeup. You have uh, Josh McClellan, a senior. Uh, Roydell Williams, also a senior. Uh, you've got a little bit of separation. You've got Jamarian or Jam Miller, uh, a sophomore. And then you've got a pair of freshmen that everyone's excited about. And uh, Justice Hayes, true freshman, participated in spring. And Richard Young, true freshman, did not participate in the spring. So we know less, uh, less about him. And so what I would say about 2018 is we had, um, let's say, an unsexy leader at the top with sort of sexy uh, appeal players uh, further down the roster. And so Damian Harris is a tremendous player, but by the time his senior year rolled around, he was less sexy than a Josh Jacobs or a Najee Harris in terms of the imagination of the fan base. And so it's easy to look back uh, or project with uh, 23. You've got Jace McClellan. Hey, he's been here. He's a senior. Uh, Rodeo Williams, he's been here. He's a senior. Maybe those are less sexy players relative to, I can't wait to see Jam, uh, uh, Jam Miller get a full workload, or I can't wait to see uh, Justice Hayes get a full workload based on what he did uh, in A-Day. And so 
it's a scenario in both cases where it's almost a look past the first the first guy or the first two guys, uh, the clear sort of uh, senior leaders, and uh, to focus o- on some of the younger guys, some of the unproven, more dynamic, potentially more dynamic guys. And so I see a similarity between 18 and 23 in that regard. And again, five future NFL players uh, on uh, the 18 list. So you almost couldn't go wrong other than just the experience at, the, at level uh, is important. And so hopefully we've got five NFLers uh, on the roster now. I think uh, if you go back and look, now how did 2018 play out? It played out about like what you would expect. Damian Harris was the leading rusher, and uh, Josh Jacobs and Najee Harris uh, were close, uh, finishing one, two, three. Uh, All three of those running backs topped 640 yards uh, individually, uh, you know, for the season. And then it was a precipitous drop to Brian Robinson had in the 200s and and Jerome Ford uh, only just barely had a handful of carries, maybe 50 yards. Uh, which not unsurprising, uh, you know, at that level. And so if you were to say, hey, the first three guys, uh, Jace, Rodeau, and Jam, uh, maybe Justice gets a little bit and Richard probably doesn't get a lot, the numbers, you know, would project that way. I do think it's a little bit different. You know, remember Mark Ingram uh, played significantly as a freshman. So it's not exactly the same, but there's enough principles uh, and there's enough sort of variability. And so if I am sort of playing from what I know these players to be, and playing from how has Saban played this type of scenario before, uh, how would I how would I project uh, the pecking order? And I'd play it out like this. I think Jace McClellan is the number one uh, running back at Alabama to start the season. It's a legitimate opportunity that we've not seen his best football. Uh, he came in COVID year uh, the first year and played just a little bit. Uh, second year, uh, he was injured and lost right about the time he was really getting into form. And last year, it was less than a year after injury. He was functional, but he got significantly better as the season went on. And in fact, uh, go to the bowl game, where he's he's maybe a year and a quarter uh, separated from the knee injury, and he maybe had his best game. And certainly the breakaway for uh, a touchdown, uh, 60 plus yards, it was a catch, not a run. Uh, but nonetheless, he showed some of the speed that I remember uh, from his freshman year. And so it's very realistic to say, hey, now he's coming up on two years from his injury, uh, that Jace, his best football may yet be ahead of him. Uh, and so that's an that's an interesting and, and exciting uh, perspective, certainly something as Alabama fans uh, we should all root for. We want all the players to play as well as they can, and certainly it creates competition. So Jace is certainly not someone to look past. Now, two, Justice Hayes. I think, uh, I think he is good enough, has proven enough, uh, and just his overall skill set is such that he's going to leapfrog uh, a couple of guys. Uh, still got Jamarian Miller in the in the three spot. Roy Dale Williams is uh, sort of the slider here. Um, he, too, is two years away from injury or coming up on two years away from injury. He, too, may have his best football uh, ahead of him. I don't think he is as dynamic uh, is the guys ahead of him, though he has been very productive in a short yardage uh, situation. He could continue to play in that role, but Justice Hayes, I think, auditioned for that in uh, A-Day where he had three or four, uh, two or three or four uh, short yardage touchdowns uh, at the end zone, and Jamarian Miller has certainly demonstrated himself as a physical runner as well. Uh, Richard Young, I had nothing against him. I just know significantly less about him. Uh, certainly highly recruited, recruited uh, and has come to Alabama 
highly regarded. I suspect that all of that is true. Uh, I simply have not seen him on the field against Alabama defense or certainly an opponent defense. And so it'd be hard to rate him uh, above uh, players that we've seen have success. Uh, So that's not a knock on the kid. Uh, I like all five of these. And so it'd be interesting to see. Uh, He'll, I think, have a hard time sort of breaking out and beating people ahead of him uh, to get snaps and reps, Uh, especially, you know, Saban does like to give the ball uh, to players that that have have demonstrated themselves. So it'll be interesting to see uh, Richard Young get an opportunity, probably gets a couple carries against MTSU, and then uh, it may be a minute before we see him again because I don't know that the coaches are going to be in a super big hurry uh, to burn his uh, his red shirt. So we'll certainly see how that plays out. Let's see. In terms of the question for the running back position, is Justice Hayes every, Haynes uh, everything the reports have suggested? I think he is. Uh, is Jace uh, best? Uh, is Jace's best football ahead of him? Uh, and again, I'm not going to answer all my questions, but gosh, it may well be. Uh, and I think there's a legitimate case uh, for that. Uh, prediction: Will Alabama have two backs top a thousand yards? Uh, this is a prediction, not a question. Alabama will have two backs top a thousand yards uh, from the line of scrimmage. From the line of scrimmage, so that includes passing, uh, receiving yards, not simply uh, rushing yards. But that is super exciting. All right, let's move forward to wide receivers. This is the most frustrating position and uh, perhaps also the most fascinating position. So Alabama uh, wide receivers, uh, this core kind of reminds me of the old Tennessee Ernie Williams songs, uh, 16 tons, another day older uh, and another day, uh, another day older and another day deeper in debt. And uh, this kind of feels like uh, you know, another year older and uh, no clear, you know, number one, uh, another year passed and still no clear answers. So uh, it feels like we're going backwards almost as opposed to uh, to forward. And so let's see how that plays out. Fall camp is not removing that as a concern. Uh, Saban has quipped, isn't that what receivers do, catch the ball? Uh, and so drops seem to be a uh, significant issue. And it was a group of podcast listeners that we sat with at uh, A-Day. Continued to, the, the running joke was uh, intended receiver. We threw the ball a lot to intended receiver, uh, but uh, it's a function of there being quite a number of drops. The good news is, and there is good news, uh, there's a tremendous amount of talent that's available to the quarterback or it's available to uh, the offense. Uh, the trick may be identifying those and uh, so that we can, you know, get the most out of them and, and translate that onto the field and then allowing them a time to, to build rapport with the quarterback. And again, we talked about that being an open question, too. Uh, I'm going to project out. Um, I'm going to be honest, honest with you. If I, if I projected three starters uh, or actually five starters at wide receiver, that would be easier than projecting four. And I'm going to project four. Uh, of course, why would I take something that's that's easy? I'm going to project uh, my four starters, uh, Malik Benson, uh, Ja'Cory Brooks. Now, we know Alabama can can run five wide. Uh, if we run in 13 personnel, then there's two receivers on the field. If we run a traditional 11, then there's three receivers. There's So there's flexibility. Uh, so it would be honest to be fair to go three because we often will go in 11 personnel and there's three receivers. So I split the difference. I wasn't going to go five uh, five deep because that's not fair. So I went four. So that's a little bit of explanation. Uh, but I'm going to go four uh, with uh, uh, with a backup for each. 
And uh, so I'm going to go Malik Benson, Ja'Cory Brooks, uh, Jermaine Burton, and Kendrick Law. And then I could just as easily say Kobe Prince instead of Kendrick Law. And then I've got Emmanuel uh, Henderson, Jalen Hale, true freshman, and Isaiah Bond. Uh, so that's my eight receivers. Again, two deep uh, across four receivers in the game. Uh, I find myself as I was you know, doing some prep, uh, almost just surprised to remember that uh, Jermaine Burton is in his second year at Alabama. I knew that he was a transfer. For whatever reason, in my head, it feels like he's been here longer than that. And so I don't know exactly why that is. But when I think about, hey, this is his second year, and he did perform reasonably well. He could be the number one receiver, depending upon how you you break it down. His numbers were a little bit better than Ja'Cory's. Ja'Cory was a little bit consistent, a little more consistent week to week. And so tomato, tomato as to which you would consider the, the number one. Uh, but what that does speak to is there wasn't a clear number one. And, uh, you know, Jermaine might be a, a, a player uh, his second year in Tuscaloosa, his second year under the uh, Alabama system, he may really step up and, uh, and perform. So that that's interesting to see. Ja'Cory uh, Brooks, we talked about him being the most consistent. He may progress and demonstrate uh, additional success over last year. And Malik Benson, I can't get past the fact that he caught uh, senior day or pro day. Uh, pro day catches uh, receptions for Bryce Young, that he was, uh, he was running those routes. That has to mean something. I'm truly, truly convinced of that. I think depth comes in the way of Shaz Preston, Cole Adams, and uh, Jaron Hamilton. Thal Jones-Bell uh, I had on the list, but he's going to sit out for a medical. Uh, I think that really frees up a, a scholarship position, and whether or not he comes back I think is a, uh, certainly a fair question. I think he's probably going to finish up his education and then maybe transfer as a grad. Uh, we'll sort of figure that out. The sort of the big Thing that I think we need a clear number one to step up because I talk about, you know, when we get together with our, our Zoom calls, the virtual tailgates, I, I think we need a dude at receiver. We need the one guy that's going to step up and who, however he's covered, wherever he is on the field, he's the guy that you can count on uh, to catch the ball. And I don't know that we have one of those. Uh, what I think we have is, is, is maybe two or three or maybe four guys that could be the number two receiver. Uh, but we need, and that's good. Uh, but we need someone to step up and uh, and certainly be the number one. So it's going to be interesting to, to certainly see how that plays out. Uh, the questions and prediction that I have, uh, is Malik the next big thing? And so is Malik Benson ready to step step into the number one receiver spot? Is Jermaine locked in? Now, it seemed that he would lose his focus, and Saban has talked about this about camp, but Jermaine uh, seemed that he would lose his focus at times during games last season. And so if he can sort of get past that, uh, then that that may uh, bode well for him, certainly as the team. Who's the number one receiver? Uh, which sophomore uh, really sort of blows up our skirt? There's a lot of freshmen that played uh, game that played last year. Which one is going to step out and really wow us? Uh, prediction, uh, Malik de- delivers. And uh, by the time we get to November, uh, wide receivers are considered a strength uh, a strength of the team, certainly a strength of the offense. All right, let's continue the offensive thread into tight end. The tight end position, I think, exemplifies two truths, uh, one old and one new. Tight end position exemplifies why Saban hates the depth chart, and uh, we'll talk, that, talk about that a couple of three ways. And then I think the tight end position exemplifies the oversimplification of Tommy Reese. 
we, we see it in the media, we see it in the reporting, we see it in how it's broken down. And it's easy to, to attempt to oversimplify for the sake of communicating uh, a message. Spoiler, we're going to do that when we get to DBs. But I think the tight end position exemplifies that. The, uh, the depth as a pecking order, where you're truly just listing the names out, doesn't universally apply across all positions. And I say especially it doesn't apply to the Alabama tight ends uh, this season, and this season perhaps more than others, uh, simply because of the diversity baked into the position. The tight end anymore uh, at Alabama is a catch-all position. And so if you were to truly just pecking order list the players, you'd go something along the lines of uh, C.J. Dupree, uh, Robbie Oots. I've seen those two players with an or. C.J. or Oots is the starting tight end. That's the most ridiculous thing you're going to see. Uh, I've seen Oots ahead of Dupree, which may just be the next most uh, ridiculous thing you're going to see. Amari uh, Nyblock, Danny Lewis, Miles Kitzelman, and Ty Lockwood. In fairness to Ty Lockwood, he's a freshman, and, uh, and so he's going to be at the bottom of the list, uh, I suspect. But, you know, we'll see how he develops. I do think his opportunity for the 23 season probably is, is, uh, is scant. But that pure pecking order, I think, masks the nuance across the position. Uh, CJ is the classic inline tight end, and he'll start at that position. Oots is a fullback, and he's never not been a fullback. We've talked about that quite a bit uh, on the podcast over the years. At Alabama, we'll call that a halfback. We'll call that an H-back, and we'll lump that in with the tight ends. And so he sort of gets shuffled in with the tight ends when in another era, he might be shuffled in with the with the running backs. I think Justin, Justin Fowler, uh, he played more of an H-back position, but he was always grouped with the running backs uh, and less so with uh, with the tight ends. Now, Fowler was different athletically and uh, I, I certainly had a skill set, I would say a stronger skill set as a runner. But nonetheless, you can see that H-back is sort of a swing position on the field and then even how we roster it. And so we're rostering uh, Robbie Oots as a, as a tight end. I'm not mad at that, but when you see an inline tight end or a fullback and, those, and classified as your starting tight end, you're doing it wrong. And so we're going to call that uh, we're going to call that out. Uh, Anari, uh, and so Oots as a fullback, he starts in that position. Uh, Amari Nyblock is a motion or receiving tight end, and he's the best starter. You know, he's the best at that position, and frankly, he's the starter uh, at that position. And so what you've got all of a sudden, you know, dude, you're crazy. You've got three guys listed as starter at tight end. You're right. I do. And that's why Saban hates the sort of the prototypical death chart. And this has been a theme off and on, uh, you know, for a decade or more on the podcast. When you say a depth chart is 11 players and that's all it can be, you take a lot of things out of consideration then, primarily personnel groupings. When we talked about wide receivers, we talked about wide receiver sets five wide. We talked about five receiver sets. We've talked about, uh, we do routinely talk about uh, two running backs. And so like a, a 21 personnel, right? So two running backs with a tight end, three uh, wide receivers. The inverse of that would be a 12, a one running back, two tight ends, uh, three uh, wide receivers. But you can run five wide. You can run a single back with four wide receivers. And, uh, and we see sometimes a three tight end set. And you can run a three tight end set with a running back. 
And so a 13 personnel, which only has one, one running back. And so, well, how do you get, when you look at your list of 11, how do you have 11 starters for all of those personnel groupings? We've talked a lot, you know, that's 16 different players when you add in the quarterback and, um, and the five linemen. And so you could say, based on those personnel groupings, we have different starters based on what personnel group we're going to run out. And so we're going to run out of, you know, an 11 personnel and call that the starter. Well, you may play one, one snap all season out of 11 personnel. Now that's not unrealistic for Alabama, but conceptually you could go out in the 13 personnel and play one snap for all season. Are there, is that your starters? No, it's not your starters. Your starters is, is going to flex based on what your personnel groupings. You could have a jumbo package. You could have a goal line package. And so it's easily 16. It could easily be 17, 18, 19 different, different starters that are classified as starter. I am a, I start for Alabama in this personnel grouping. And I think that's why and Saban loves to do that because it's motivating. It's more opportunities to get more people on the field uh, designated as starters. It's a motivational tactic. It's the carrot at the end of the stick as opposed to the stick at the end of the ass. And so that's how Saban wants to motivate in uh, in that way. And so that's why he hates the the depth chart because all of that nuance is lost. And he'll use ands or ors and all that to try to communicate that. It doesn't communicate the same way is is con- just conceptually understanding it and ri- written out that way doesn't convey it. I I think in the way that you can express it, in the way that I try to express it. So yes. That's three de facto starters across uh, the tight end variants. Again, tight end is football's version of the chess uh, piece, the the knight. Uh, It's an effective weapon, and you can deploy it a lot of different ways. And so that's I love that analogy uh, with the tight end. So that brings us to – so that's the first truth, right? Why Saban hates the depth chart and the tight end sort of, for my money, exemplifies it. It also – the tight end position exemplifies the oversimplification of – Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese did great things with the tight end at Notre Dame, and he'll do great things with the tight end at Alabama. That's true. An oversimplification doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means you're leaving context on the table. You're not giving the full explanation. And so we'd rather do that. It's more fun when we understand it all together. And so Reese did good things with the tight end at Notre Dame because he had Michael Mayer and not much else. And so he got creative where he could get creative. It was like the episode of The Simpsons where Marge Simpson got a fancy Louis Vuitton dress. And she cut that dress and sewed that dress into 12, 15 different outfits because it's the one Louis Vuitton product she had. And she made 15 different outfits out of that one single dress. That's what Tommy Reese did with Mayer at Notre Dame. He made 15 different dresses out of the best outfit he had on the field. And that happened to be Tommy Mayer or Michael Mayer. Uh, The ability. And so that to say that, oh, he's so good with a tight end. He's so good with a tight end. He's so good with a tight end is such an oversimplification. The ability to create and exploit mismatches with formations and motions, you know, that extends to every offensive position. It's not a capability with tight end. It's a capability with running an offense. He had the tight end at Notre Dame. At Alabama, he has more tools. And so he can carry those, those mismatch exploits, those formations, those motions. He can extend that across many, many more positions. 
I will not go so far as to say that he's going to be Sark in his first year at Alabama, but after two years of Bob, Reese is going to tickle the fancy. He's going to, it's going to look more like Sark. I'm not going to say it is, but it's going to look more like it than what Bob did with the motions and creating the creation of mismatches. Sure, using the tight end personnel, but also using other personnel at other position groupings. So do, definitely do watch for that. The tight end is such a versatile position. The way that I explain the tight end carries principles across the entirety of the offense, right? I can't even limit my explanation of the tight end to the tight end position because it's so robust uh, what what it's capable of doing. And, and certainly it's a grab bag of, of player types uh, as we've seen and have, as we've discussed. So I think Dupree uh, is the starter at the end line. Uh, I think Oots is the, the starter <clears throat> at more of the classic uh, fullback position. Uh, Amari Nablack is the starter at at the more sort of split out uh, decision or, or position. I think Danny Lewis is probably more of an inline. I think he's going to be a super uh, a super prospect for Alabama as well. If you watch some of the practice film, oh, man, he had a sensational one, one-arm grab, definitely showing some dynamic uh, playmaking ability there. Uh, Miles Kitzelman, I think, is more of an inline. Uh, we'll see if he develops his second year. And then we talked about uh, Ty Lock, Lockwood. We'll see how he progresses uh, and develops as well. So question for the tight end position, uh, does CJ or Nyblock lead the tight end room in production? Uh, I think given their respective skill sets and how they'll be deployed, I think that'll be an interesting question. Uh, prediction, uh, Oot scores on a fullback dive. It's got to happen. It's absolutely got to happen. Tommy Reese talks about loving physical play and that's play style. You know, Oots has caught a couple of passes, uh, we've heard about him catching some passes in some of the practices and scrimmages, and I just so would love to see a fullback dive. Uh, I guess we'll have to call it a halfback dive or whatever, uh, but I'd love to see uh, Oot score uh, on a fullback dive, reminiscent of uh, some of the old Nebraska, uh, when the fullback would just sort of – Corey Schlesinger, I don't know where that name came from, uh, but he would run up for a 20-yard gain. Uh, I'd love to see uh, Alabama do something like that uh, in a game. I think that would be phenomenal. Definitely make defenses think. All right, let's transition to the offensive line. And I think this group hinges on a single player at a single position. No pressure, Terrence Ferguson. Ferg, uh, Ferg is the linchpin for me uh, across the entire offensive line. Let's explain that. What do we mean by that? How do I get to that position? Let's walk that through. How do I get to uh, Terrence Ferguson being the linchpin for the offensive line? And it breaks down like this. J.C. Latham, uh, let's start. We're going to start right to left. We normally start left to right because we're building right to left. So J.C. Latham returns as the starter at right tackle. Uh, He can play left, and uh, he is, I think, already – a pre all SEC or, or some uh, some sort uh, dynamic player is J C Latham. Uh, Tyler Booker takes over for Ekior at the right guard position. Now we know that Booker can play uh, left side or right side. Uh, we know that empirically uh, he did both last season. And in fact, he played more snaps at left than he did right. Uh, that had a lot to do with uh, when Javen Cohen left and Tyler Booker started the bowl game uh, at the left guard spot. Uh, but he is, Tyler is, penciled to be the starter at right guard uh, next to J.C. Latham. And we know that uh, that he'll field that position. He'll man that position very, very well. Seth uh, McLaughlin returns as center. 
and he has been a steadying factor. Uh, I just want to celebrate that Seth McLaughlin is going to start the season at the center position. He has been a steadying force at the center position uh, for the offensive line. Each of the last two seasons, we went into fall camp uh, projecting that Seth should be the starter at center. He was. He did not win the job or was not awarded the job uh, until week four. And guess what? The offensive line started playing better after week four. And uh, especially the issues that Alabama had in, in the A-gaps, and particularly against Texas. Uh, Seth came in and settled some of that down. Uh, the year prior, uh, Seth came in, it was later in the season, but uh, he stepped in for Dalcourt at the center spot. And again, just the play, it was subtle, but the play of the offensive line was improved when Seth was in. If we start the season, if Alabama starts the season with Seth at center, then I think we start from a higher platform. We're not playing catch-up uh, with our offensive line capability, and I'm confident Seth uh, will be uh, awarded that position. Uh, Saban, I think, agrees, and he has been uh, highly effusive in his praise of Seth McLaughlin, so that's pretty fun. Now, that's three out of five positions. That's 60%. How is Ferg the linchpin? All right, now let's get to the meat and potatoes of this. Coming out of spring, I was convinced. I think this was my post-spring topic, one of my uh, post-spring topics. I was 100% convinced that Elijah Pritchard and Caden Proctor would compete for the starting left tackle position. Well, check, that is happening. I also predicted that the I'm going to say air quote loser or the air quote non-winner of that position would displace Darian Dalcourt at left guard. Darian Dalcourt was simply a placeholder at that left guard position. While I do think he was simply a placeholder at that position, it turns out he may not be placeholding that position for the loser of uh, Pritchard and Proctor at the left tackle position he may be holding that position or he may have been holding that position for the emergence of Ferguson himself, highly motivated not to be overlooked in 2023 by virtue of the new recruits that are in. There's a whole starting five that, that Saban brought in that's, that uh, is going to make waves in subsequent seasons. And so Ferguson is motivated to plant his flag on this offensive line. And in doing so, he significantly turns up the heat at the left tackle position. Now, Pritchard and Proctor are no longer competing with a starting position at left guard being the consolation. How bad can it be if I lose the left tackle position, but I'm starting at left guard? Because I'm still a starter on Alabama's offensive line. Now, I get you'd rather be a left tackle than a left guard, but... If the consolation prize is I still get to play, I guess still get to stay on the field and play, that's pretty dang nice, especially for someone like Proctor, a true freshman. We've had quite a number, Alabama's had quite a number of future first round left tackle prospects start playing at guard their true freshman season. And so that's not really losing anything if you are still a starter. Now the dynamic has completely changed with the emergence of Ferg. Now, the player who doesn't win the left tackle position may be relegated to the bench. They may sit and watch as opposed to slide over three feet and continue to play. That increases competition up and down the line and uh, certainly at that left tackle position, which is going to be a critically important position. So I think 
that for that sort of that sort of layout is why I position Ferg as a uh, a linchpin player uh, coming in at the guard position. I do think uh, again this is another area where Saban agrees. He has said that Ferguson he's playing really well. I'm going to quote. This is going to be pretty close to a quote. Uh, he said talking about Ferguson he's playing really well, really well. It's the second really that gets me. That's a point of emphasis. And we talk about this on the podcast and we've seen it sort of play out over the years. Saban will tell you things. You just have to know how to listen. And when he says, oh, he's playing well. Okay. Oh yeah. He played well today. He's playing really well. Okay. Then maybe he did a couple of things. He's playing really, really well. He's playing really well, really well. That second emphasis, that second really tells you everything you need to know. And so I think Ferguson, uh, uh, I think Ferguson wins the, the left guard uh, position, and I think that really amps up the competition at the left tackle position. So let's run this run it through. Now we're going to go left to right, and I'm going to give you who I think the, the number one uh, and then the backup at the position is. Uh, so left tackle, I think it's Elijah Pritchard. I think he edges him out probably you know based on experience, but Caden Proctor is right there. Uh, I probably even predict that they, predict that they rotate. Uh, left guard, it's uh, Terrence Ferguson, and he's backed up by uh, Darian Dalcourt. Uh, the center is Seth McLaughlin, and he's backed up by Darian Dalcourt. We're going to come back to that. Right guard is Tyler Booker. Uh, Booker. He's going to be backed up by Jaden Roberts or maybe Rock Montgomery. I'll give them a little bit of competition there. And J.C. Latham is going to be at the right tackle, and he's going to be backed up uh, by a couple of freshman tackles, and it would just be a competition to see. Uh, which one sort of stands up. But Wilkin Formby, uh, Formby uh, Olis uh, Allenon, just call him Thor, and uh, Miles McVay. So it'll be inter- interesting to see how that plays out. Now, there's a little bit of a dynamic, right? We know that Elijah Pritchett, Caden Proctor, and J.C. Latham are, are our best three tackles. And so if J.C. went down, then Caden or Elijah would hop over to that right tackle before we put a true freshman in. Uh, I, in fact, Tyler Booker might be our fourth best tackle, uh, if we're really being honest and we're, and we're taking playing time into account, and uh, that may uh, cause Tyler to to move to a tackle position, right tackle, and uh, Darian Dalcourt step out. That may even be, hint, hint, um, why Tyler Booker is on the right side and not the left side this season. I don't know. But uh, Darian Dalcourt could definitely, in that case, step into a guard uh, position. So it becomes a lot more flexible the more players you have to replace. Uh, but when you line up and say, this is our hockey line ones, uh, and this is our hockey line twos. Uh, then I think uh, I think that's that's what you get there. I'm super excited. Uh, I think I, I'm super excited about that group, and I think this has an opportunity to be a really really good line. Uh, I read somewhere where someone did not have faith or confidence that uh, Saban has had a love fest with a lineman each of the last two years. It was Chris Owens. It was Kendall Randolph, and this individual thinks that Saban has a similar sort of. Uh, uh, love passion for Darian Dalkert. And I think that's probably true uh, to the extent that this individual predicted Dalkert winning the center job. I don't think Saban makes that mistake again. Uh, I think he recognizes that Kendall Randolph was a mistake. And in fact, he changed that midseason. And uh, Chris Owens, I think he realized that was a decision. And if he could go back in a time machine, uh, he would have put uh, J.C. Latham at that right tackle position uh, a couple of seasons ago, or at least after the first couple of games, he would have uh, put them in. So I'm excited about that offensive line. I'm bullish on Seth being uh, uh, the starter at center. 
Uh, although I do think we, we see some rotations. And so the question, uh, do Pritchard and Proctor rotate early in the season 100%? Absolutely. Uh, I think they do. Uh, we haven't seen uh, a prediction. <clears throat> we haven't seen the last of Dalkert. I think he rotates with Seth at the center position. Uh, but, I, but I don't think it's like Booker did last year. I think it's, it's a little more of an integrated uh, rotation. Uh, for example, uh, when Alabama is going to rotate out the starting line, I think the possession before that change is going to be made, uh, we'll see Dalkert c- come in and play with the ones. And then when the rest of the four players rotate out and the twos are in, then Dalkert will stay, uh, he'll stay with the twos, potentially even moving to a guard spot, but he'll stay uh, out on the field. I think uh, Saban wants to give Dalkert his props. He's certainly pleased that he came back, but he came back for depth uh, in competition, not to come back to start, uh, which is a tough message for some players to get. I think that's what Saban emphasizes. We've got six or seven starters because uh, he still wants to classify Darian Dalkert as a starter, and he'll certainly talk to NFL scouts uh, in that way uh, as well. And so he has to, similar how he did with Rudolph and uh, Chris Owens, he wanted to be committed to praising them to scouts, and you can't praise someone to scouts if you've not given them an opportunity to play. And so Dalkert will get an opportunity to play, and then Saban will say, look, he got crushed by numbers uh, but we put them on the field every chance uh, we had a legitimate opportunity uh, without it disrupting the flow of the offense. So we'll see that. Uh, we'll see that. Uh, so prediction, that I run through all the predictions? Uh, this will be one of Alabama's best offensive lines that we've seen. Uh, I'm not going to say it's 2020 good, uh, but uh, and it may be a low bar to say it, it'll be uh, second, second best to that uh, over the last you know five years, but it's going to be really good. It's a position in good hands for all coming uh, for upcoming seasons as well. Uh, again, it was a five true freshman linemen. They could line up and play, and I think they did in a day, which is pretty dang impressive. That the second team was fielded by <clears throat> five true freshmen, uh, so that's dang impressive. This also a lineman, the youngsters that Coach Wolf wants. He was part of recruiting uh, these youngsters on the lineup. Uh, there's been a number of linemen who left and, uh, you know, we wish all the players well. We don't know the conversations that happen that lead to uh, players no longer being at Alabama. But uh, we can imagine uh, that there's some encouraged attrition. And uh, I think that's what we've seen. And I think this unit is sort of rounding into rounding into what Alabama wants, what Saban wants and uh, what Coach uh, Wolf wants as well. All right, so we've run through all of our offensive positions, and uh, I come to a conclusion. I stand by my spring prediction that the offense will be better in 23 than it was in 22. Uh, Less hero ball. There won't be 10 people standing around watching for Bryce to make a play. We see that in a lot of basketball. Uh, You know, there's four guys watching one, and one guy's going to shake and bake and make a play. Football is a little bit different, but – there's a little bit of that that we saw uh, Alabama fans saw last year uh, where Bryce would scram- scramble around. The linemen wouldn't know where to block, and so they're standing around, uh, in, at least in some regards. And some of the players down the field are standing around uh, as well. Bryce, most of the time, made a good play with the ball, but not always. I think this is going to be more systematic. Uh, it's going to be more methodical. Uh, I think this Alabama defense is, is deeper and across every position. It's going to be more physical. And uh, again, I think with the, uh, the, the play calling and uh, the motions, I think there's going to be some schematic advantage uh, at the collegiate level that this team will bring to the table that last year's team did not. 
All right. With that, we're going to wrap up the offensive show. Uh, I ask that you please check out, join the podcast team. Uh, check us out at alabamafootballpodcast.com. There are weekly virtual tailgates uh, during the season, so you're able to hop on a Zoom call and have, we'll have live conversations, fill all your questions, get to know some really good people. Uh, we have early access to all recordings. Uh, the the podcast team is going to get through this recording Sunday night and uh, match that to when you were able to download it and listen to it. So you're definitely going to get you'll get the unedited version uh, as well. And um, we're doing at least one meetup in Tuscaloosa uh, this fall. And uh, we got into a, a meetup uh, last year for a day. And so that's sort of a subset of a subset, if you will. Uh, but uh, uh, sort of the entry or the entree into that group is uh, through the podcasting. So we certainly encourage you to, uh, to check that out. Uh, I'm going to post, I'm going to put it in the article that in, includes the write-up of this, uh, of this recording and where the recordings list live on the website. And so you have to go to the website uh, to get this. AlabamaFootballPodcast.com is going to be 2023 uh, offensive show, and then I'm going to have a defensive show. And this will be in both. But uh, I'm going to include, include a code uh, for a one-month free trial of the, uh, uh, I call it the support team or the virtual team or the podcast team, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but a one-month uh, free trial, it's only $2 anyways, uh, but a one-month uh, free trial. And uh, you can download just a whole bunch of crazy stuff. Uh, good stuff, and, uh, and at least for a month, you'll have an opportunity to get some of these uh, shows early. That includes interview shows, and I'm really excited about uh, some of the interviews uh, that we have lined up and uh, uh, whatnot. So at any rate, I'm, uh, uh, I'm going to wrap this one, and then we're going to come back and do uh, a defensive show. Uh, but I appreciate listening to the end. I do ask you to uh, check out the uh, podcast team and uh, check us out on iTunes or your favorite uh, podcast uh, listening tool and uh, give us a review. We certainly appreciate those. We're going to get back into the habit of reading reviews uh, on the air and calling out, uh, you know, calling out uh, favorably, right? Uh, people that have left left us reviews. I've got a couple that haven't done that in a long time and uh, we haven't gotten a lot of reviews in, in a while either. So uh, maybe there's a correlation there. So uh, we're going to start to do that. Uh, not today, uh, probably not in either of these preseason shows, but we're going to get in a routine uh, of doing that. Uh, and again, we have some some of our opponent interviews that we're starting to schedule. Uh, looking forward to that as well. All right. With that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. What do we say? Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.